Thank you, Alan. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship today. It really is good to be back in this room, and I want to welcome all of you here. My name is Phil DeBoof, and I uh, work with the pastoral care team here at Third Church, and it's just a privilege to be able to share God's Word together with you. I'm going to tell you a true, totally true story, all right? I'm not making any of it up, and I did get permission from my wife to share this. Deb couldn't be here today. She had to beeline it to Kansas City for a baby shower today, and, uh, but I asked her ahead of time if I could share our proposal story, okay? Two years ago, September 1st, um, I planned this one-day whirlwind trip to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I say, why would you want to propose in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? That's a good question. Darius Rucker was going to be there, and Deb loves Darius Rucker. So uh, uh, <laughs> those of you that know who Darius is, uh, she's one of Deb's favorite musicians. And so I found out he was going to be in Milwaukee. And, and we also kind of have a thing for lighthouses because each of us in our lives have experienced some shipwreck. I don't know if anyone else can identify with that, but uh, uh, we realized how difficult it is as a follower of Christ when you have a shipwreck to get guided back to shore. And we just kind of felt like, even in our dating time, we felt like God was leading us to some kind of a ministry to uh, uh, hold a light out of hope to people who were lost or who were just on rough seas. And so we kind of had this thing for lighthouses, and I thought, well, what better place to propose than in the top of a lighthouse overlooking Lake Michigan? So I got online, and I was looking at all the lighthouses, and I found this North Point lighthouse that looks out over Lake Michigan, and I called them up, and they said, yeah, we have people do that quite often. We close at 3 o'clock, but we'll stay around till 4. Uh, we'll, we'll meet you at the door. We will let on like nothing's going on, and we'll let you go to the top of the lighthouse, and you can do your thing and come back down, and then we'll congratulate you and take pictures and all that good stuff. And there were two things that went through my mind. First of all, what if she doesn't say yes? <laughs> how am I going to explain this? And the second thing is, how am I going to pull all this off? And uh, so here was the itinerary. We were supposed to get at the lighthouse right at about 3, and then we were supposed to climb to the top of the lighthouse. I was going to ask her to marry me, and she was going to say yes. And then I had a, a, a really super special uh, dinner planned at a re restaurant that overlooked Lake Michigan. It was very romantic. And, and then we were going to go to the Darius Rucker concert, and then we were going to fly back home. So things weren't going so well right from the get-go because there was a three-hour traffic or uh, thunderstorm delay in Kansas City where we would fly out from. So our timing was really crunched. <laughs> We got into the lighthouse at about 3.05, and we started up the stairs. She thought, this is kind of weird. You know, what's the big deal? Why did you want to see a lighthouse before our dinner tonight? And I said, well, I just wanted to see the scenery. So uh, we climbed, and here's sometimes farm boys don't think things all the way through. We got up the first three stories with a stairway, and all of a sudden I realized that the last story, two stories, were accessed only by a ladder. <laughs> And we were dressed, we're 60 years old, we're dressed for a fancy dinner uptown, and we had to climb two stories of a ladder. And by this time, Deb was really wondering what I was up to, so we climbed up to the top of the, to the lighthouse, and we were looking around, I said, isn't it beautiful out here? And yeah, it's beautiful out here. And, and I said, you know, um, we've talked a lot about lighthouses and how we kind of feel like maybe the Lord has something planned for us. And I said, I would really like it if, if you'd be my wife in this adventure. And her mouth dropped to the floor, and she said, what? Did you bring a ring and everything? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I did. 
And I got out the ring out of my pocket, and I, I showed it to her, and she tried it on. It fit perfectly. She said, how would you know what size to get? And I said, well, I snuck into your house, and I tried one of your rings out on my pinky finger and found out right where it fit. And, and so she was all impressed, and, and we got, it, was, it was exciting. We looked around. We talked about it. We laughed, and then we went down, and we went, walked over to where our dinner was going to be. And in the middle of dinner, it just occurred to me. I said, Deb, I don't ever remember you saying yes. And she said, I don't recall you ever asking. <laughs> so so in, in the commotion and in the excitement, I never really asked, and she never really said yes. So I got down on my knee at the dinner table, and I said, would you be my wife? Would you marry me? And she said, of course. And that's how we proposed. Now, isn't that a neat story? We've joked about that often, about how we kind of didn't quite get it right, and about a year and a half later, this, just this last May, we were in, in um, Hannibal, Missouri. It was one of those beautiful May days, crisp morning, the air was perfect, and there was a lighthouse at Hannibal, too. So we walked over to the, to the lighthouse, and we were reminiscing about our proposal, and, and I looked at Deb, and I said, you know, Deb, I'm sure glad that I kind of asked you to marry me. What she meant to say was, I'm so glad that I kind of said yes. But what came out was, well, I'm kind of glad I said yes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we bust out laughing. That wasn't really what I wanted to hear right at that moment. After a year and a half, I thought there would be a little more resounding, uh, you know, I'm glad too, but I'm kind of glad. And, and the private joke in our house from then on is kind of doesn't cut it. Now, our subject today is about holiness, and I would like to pre uh, uh, present to you today that when it comes to holiness, kind of doesn't cut it. I want us to read in our text, uh, if you bring the screen two up there, our message is flourishing in exile, grounded in hope and guided by holiness. And our text comes from 1 Peter, the first chapter, and we're going to read, we're not going to read the entire segment, but I'd like to read a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 13, and then we're going to flip back to um, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1, therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in most of what you do, for it is written, be kind of holy because I am holy. And then over in Leviticus chapter 19, we read these words. This is actually where Peter is quoting from. We read in verses 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be kind of holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. People of God, this is kind of the word of God. <laughs> when it comes to holiness, kind of doesn't cut it. We're going to talk about that for a little while this morning. You see, holiness, the Hebrew word for holiness is kados, which means selected or chosen and consecrated, called out and consecrated. The Greek word for holiness is hegios, which means to be set apart and consecrated. So there is a a two-facet 
meaning to the word holiness. It means to be called out from, but it also means to be separated to or consecrated to. And from our text in 1 Peter today, I want to look at three things that we've been called out from, and then we're going to look at a few things that we've been consecrated to from 1 Peter chapter 1. The first one, if we could have our next slide, we have been called out from evil desires, the ignorance of evil desires in verse 14. Have you ever found yourself going down a road, a wrong road, making some bad decisions, uh, missing the mark, which is kind of what the word sin means, missing the mark, and you look back at what happened and you said, how could I be so stupid? How could I be so stupid? That's what comes to mind when it says the ignorance of evil desires. I had a preacher that preached one time, and I've never forgotten it. He said, sin will always cost you, well, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. It'll always cost you more than you wanted to pay, and it'll make you stay much longer than you wanted to stay. It will hold you much longer than you ever wanted to stay. The ignorance of evil desires. When we find ourselves, I can remember some decisions I've made in my life that were just atrocious. And I justified my way through all of them. And all of a sudden, I, I look back and I say, how did that happen? What was I thinking? But you see, God has called us out from the ignorance of evil desires. He's called us out from that. He's called us out from the comforts of home. In verse 17, it says this. He said, since you're calling a father who, uh, I'm sorry, verse yeah, 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. He's called us away from the comforts of home. Pastor Kevin talked about it in the first service, and we've talked about it in here. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our zip code is heaven. It isn't here. And sometimes I think the reason we struggle so much with holiness in our lives is because we, home has become too comfortable. We've had so many things that have been so easy for us. And I think this last year has been a wake-up call for us to realize that comfort is not a given. <laughs> all of the things that we thought were automatic are not automatic. And all of a sudden, we, we've started to lose our orientation. And, and all the while, God is saying, your citizenship is in heaven anyway. You've been called away from the comforts of home. Now, I'm not saying we can't enjoy life. Man, I enjoy life with the best of them. But this isn't our home. And we need to keep that in constant sight and in our mind. We've been called away from the comforts of home. We've been called away from empty religion. In verse 18, he says, For you know that in, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your forefathers. Can I ask a personal question? You don't have to raise your hands. Have any of you spent any of your life in the uh, uh, futility of religion, of empty religion, of list keeping, of rule keeping? Where does it get you? Shout it out. Where does it get you? Miserable, discouraged, defeated, right? But he has called us out of that empty way of religion. Our text that, that Peter was quoting was from Leviticus chapter 19. And can, can I give you a little uh, insight into my life? Me and the book of Leviticus don't get along real well together. <laughs> 
It is filled with rule after rule after rule. And if, and if we read in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, I, I won't take the time to turn there, but uh, you will find lists that are just incredible. First of all, you're not supposed to wear clothing with two different kinds of material. Did you know that was in there? <laughs> One of the other laws that God gave them, don't plant two kinds of seed in the same field. Well, farmers would be in trouble, wouldn't they? Uh, another one he says is don't, uh, uh, don't clip your sideburns or the edges of your beard. It's in Leviticus 19. I don't know what it was for. Um, can you imagine the 750-some laws that are in Leviticus trying to keep that list? It reminds me a little bit, and I've told you this illustration before. One of my favorite theologians is Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. Remember when I told you about the cartoon of Calvin? And he's out there playing ball, and he couldn't get anybody to play with himself, so he, he went out with his ball and his glove and his bat, and he threw the ball in the air, and he swung it up, and had the ball went high in the air, and then he threw the bat down, grabbed his glove, and he ran, and he, I got it! I got it! I'm out. And that's the futility of religion, of empty religion. It doesn't matter how hard we try to keep all the rules and the lists that we see laid out all through Scripture. If we fall short in one of them, we are out. But you see, God has called us out from that empty religion. I still remember the first time that I walked into a church and I heard the message that Jesus Christ came to set us free from the power of sin. And that Jesus Christ set us free even from the hold of the law over us. That hold that says you'll never make it. You can't do it. You're going to slip up. You're going to screw up here. And it was an amazing thing the day that I realized that my righteousness was totally dependent on him and not on me. So what does that have to do with holiness? Does that mean we just live as we please? That's a great question. We've not only been called out from the ignorance of evil desires, from the comforts of home, and from empty religion, but we've been consecrated to these things. If we could have the next slide. We've been concentrate, uh, consecrated to a life of hope and grace. That hope that Pastor Kevin has been talking about, the reality of the, the soon return of Jesus Christ, that's the hope that we live for. We live in hope and in grace. Deb came across a quote the other day that I love. It said, we are really great at being judges for other people's sins, but we're excellent lawyers on our own. Think about that. We are good at judging other people's sin, but we make great lawyers when it comes to our own. Justifying. But we've been called to a life of grace. And if you were in the earlier service, Pastor Kevin talked so... Uh, deeply about that, what living in grace looks like. We've been called to a life of obedience. I think of Abraham and Isaac when God had called Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. And it says that he got up early the next morning to do what God had asked him to do, knowing that God would provide a sacrifice. I got to be honest with you, my obedience takes a lot longer than that sometimes. <laughs> My obedience is, Lord, are you sure about this? Do I have to do that? Are you sure you're not talking to someone else? They're not doing it right. 
and I have all this conversation with God instead of doing like Abraham says he got up early the next morning to do what God had asked him to do. And I want to try to live my life in that kind of obedience to God. We've been consecrated in verse 17 to a life of reverence. He said we should live out, uh, lost my place. He said, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meddle just a little bit, all right, <clears throat> about reverence. I heard, uh, I heard somebody tell, uh, say one time in a message, he said, you can tell the spiritual health of a nation by what they laugh at. And I remember when I heard that, I started playing the replay in my, of my week. And I got to thinking about how we entertain ourselves. And I was convicted. I think that, and this is not a diatribe on our culture, it's just an observation that I've made that if you looked at a television show now as compared to what we saw 40 years ago or 50 years ago, they would be appalled at what's on the airwaves right now. And the, and the, and the sad part is we as Christians, we laugh at it along with, right, the re, with all the rest of them. We're entertained by the same sick stuff that would have made a sailor blush a generation ago. So in this call to, to holiness, he says, I want you to live a life of reverence, recognizing who God is, that he is totally holy. He's called us in verse 22 to a life of sincere love where we love one another deeply from the heart, not in words only, where we're walking by someone in the hallway say, love you, brother, love you, sister. But where we are intricately involved in the, and, and have empathy for their lives and what they're walking through, and we love them deeply from the heart. That's what we've been consecrated to. And finally, we've been called to a life of maturity. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter, I want to read these words. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Once that we've tasted of the goodness of God, he says, I want you to desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can be mature. That we can be, uh, when, when Jesus said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, that word is the same word as maturity. He wants us to grow up into Christ, into the likeness and the person of Christ. So the loaded question for us today as we wrap things up is this, how do we get there? How do we get from this sinful nature that we were born with into a place of holiness? To where, as Pastor Kevin said this morning, people see our lives, and because of our holiness, they see Christ. And that holiness is not about a list that you keep. It's not about a Levitical law. It isn't even about keeping the Sermon on the Mount to the T, because we aren't able to do that either. Somebody says, oh, I'm so glad I live in the new covenant. It's so much easier. No, it isn't. <laughs> when Jesus, Jesus said in the old covenant, you weren't supposed to commit adultery, the new covenant says don't even look on a woman to lust after her. 
And the old covenant said, don't kill. And the new covenant says, don't even hate your brother. You see, if we, if we turn even the Sermon on the Mount into a list, we will still fall short. I hesitate to say this, but I remember one time um, I committed, I, I broke three commandments in five seconds. <laughs> I, was, I was young, I was sitting, uh, my wife and I were sitting in a gas station and uh, whizzing right up next to us and parking right next to us was this shiny new Corvette. And out of it stepped this sexy, good-looking lady. And uh, in five seconds, I broke three commandments. I coveted after the car. I had impure thoughts toward the lady. And I lied to my wife, says I didn't even notice. Now, I'm, not, I'm making light of it, but it's, it's our human condition. And if we resort to a list of rules, we will find ourselves falling far short every moment of every day. So Paul says, who can deliver us from the body of this death? Woe is us. There's no hope. How can we be holy when we're made like this? I have good news today. We are made holy two ways. Number one, by invitation. We have been invited into his holiness. Revelation 3, verse 20 says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door to me, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. In other words, I want to sit down and have coffee at your house. That's the invitation that Jesus is giving to us. He has invited us, as, as we've in our last series, he's invited us into this circle of love, of completeness, of the Godhead. We've been invited into his holiness. And secondly, we, get into, we, get, we become holy by saturation with his holiness. We don't do it by rule keeping. Can everyone get that today? There is no way we'll ever attain that. But we get it by saturation, by invitation and by saturation. Remember Moses on the mountain of God when he went up and saw, uh, stood in God's presence? And when it says when he came down, he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he came down, his face was literally glowing. It was radiating the glory of God so that he had to wear a veil so that the people could even look on him. And there's a really neat scripture in 2 Corinthians that reads like this. It's, descri- it's, it's using the, uh, the story of Moses as an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We used to sing a, a chorus called, Shine, Jesus, Shine, and the last verse went like this, As we gaze on your kingly brightness... So our faces display your likeness. Ever changing from glory to glory, mirrored here may our lives tell your story. Shine, Jesus, shine. Shine, Jesus, shine. So Paul is telling the Corinthians that the way to holiness is by saturation in him, that we are changed as we gaze on his holiness. And I think it's very important for us to know this about the Corinthians. Were they the stellar church of the New Testament? No, 
In fact, I call them the Jerry Springer church. You read 1 Corinthians and you see what was going on. They were messed up. They had people sleeping with people they shouldn't be sleeping with. They had people uh, uh, making a feast out of the Lord's Supper. They had all sorts of, of uh, stu stuff going on, dysfunctional stuff. And yet to those people, Paul said, hey, you know how you're going to become holy? By seeing his likeness, by being saturated by his holiness by gazing into him and his glory becomes our glory as we are transformed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. That's how we become holy, by invitation, by saturation. Any attempt of holiness from the ground up is totally futile. But when we are in his presence, we are transformed. So I've got a question for us just to talk about for a couple minutes today. And then we're going to do a little exercise. I don't know if it's going to work or not. But I want to ask, what are some ways that we can be saturated with his glory and with his holiness? Does anyone want to just give me some feedback? In what ways have you found that you can be drawn closer to the Lord and into his holiness? Being in the word, intentionally in the word. Good. Anyone else? Devotions every morning, having that habit, intentional. Okay, so what I'm hearing from, we still have a part in this, right? We don't just uh, uh, expect that this is automatically going to happen. We have to place ourselves in a posture of receiving His holiness. So devotions, being in the Word. Anyone else? Anyone? Music? Music? Is that helpful to anyone? Yeah, there's a lot of you raise your hands on that. Could I ask a kind of a nasty question? Can music have the opposite effect? Yeah. Yeah, we need to be not mindful of that. Anyone else? Ways that we can be saturated with his holiness. Sitting in his presence, yes. Taking time. Taking time. I think there's an old hymn about that, isn't there? Take time to be holy. Speak oft with the Lord. Yeah. Jim. Wow. That'll preach. Jim said, stop our love affair with the world. Anyone else? You got one? Being good? That's a good, that's a good job. What's your name? I didn't. Ethan says to be good, to be Christ-like. Good job, Ethan. One last one, and then we're going to try an exercise. Preston? Speaking blessings. Speaking blessings. I think you've been talking to Dr. Carl or Dr. Clay over there, haven't you? <laughs> you know what? That's really been revolutionary for me, too, as, as Clayton has encouraged us to bless people. That's good. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Okay, as the praise team comes up, I'm gonna try, we're going to try something. Um, <clears throat> one of the ways that I have found to, to be saturated by his holiness and by his character is to uh, mull over and meditate over the descriptions of God and the names of God that are in Scripture. So what I've, what I've done, I've put together a list <clears throat> from A to Z 
of names or descriptions of God. And what I want you to do, I'm going to call out a letter, starting with A and working all the way through the alphabet, and I want you to come back with some names of God or some descriptions of God that start with that letter, okay? This is just going to be kind of a worship experience for us. I don't know if it'll work or not, but we're going to try it. <clears throat> and if we, if we run short, like if we have trouble with the letter X or Q or something, I'll, I'll prompt us maybe a little bit. So starting with the letter A, someone want to speak up a name of God or a description of God that starts with the letter A? Almighty. Any others? Adonai. Okay, any others? Agape. Good. Good. What about B? Beautiful. Bright morning star. How about C? Comforter, cornerstone, champion. How about D? Deliverer? Did I hear deliverer? Yes. The day star. He's called the day star from heaven. How about E? El Shaddai, everlasting. Elohim, Emmanuel, F, faithful, good job, Ethan, how about Father, G, good, good, good Father, gracious, Gentle, generous, I love this. What about H, Holy One, yeah. Healer, pardon, helper, awesome. How about I, Great I Am. Yes. Intercessor. J. Jehovah Jireh. I was hoping I would hear that one. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from our sins. K. Yeah, King of Kings. And L. Lord of Lords, hallelujah. M, merciful, Messiah, master, pardon? Majesty, mighty God. N, how about name above all names? Oh, what's that? Omnipotent, Omega, Overcomer, P, Praise, Prince of Peace, Patient, Powerful, 
Yeah, you guys can be included in this too. Q. What's that? Quick to forgive. I love it. A quiet refuge from the storms around us. A quickening spirit making us alive. How about R? Speak louder. I can't hear you. Righteousness. Redeemer. Rescuer. How about S? Savior. T? The truth. Any others? I can't hear, all, hear you all of them. Trust? Triumphant. Yes. Trusting. You. Understanding. Good job, Ethan. I love it. Unconditional lover of my soul. V. Victor. Any others in V? Pardon? W. Wonderful. There, I was looking for that one. Good job, Waymaker. X. You can cheat on this one a little bit if you want. How about Exalted One? No, that's quite not fair. Here's one I made up. It's a word I made up. You all right with it? Let's try it. Xeno Warrior. You know what that means? The champion of the stranger and foreigner. So I thought that works. Why? Yahweh. And Z? Zion's soon coming king. Let's sing. Holy, holy, holy. Holy.